If you have your Bibles this morning, and you would, uh, find uh, the book of 2 Samuel, as we have been going through this book now, verse by verse. Whew, I was afraid I'd rip my britches if I wasn't careful there, bending over. So, one victory we've already won. Uh, today, as we are here celebrating families and uh, celebrating the sanctity of human life, you might say, well, Jake, what, uh, what sermon are we going to be looking at today? What passage of Scripture are we at? Well, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 19, verse 40. And the reason we're going to be in verse 40 is, um, it's kind of a difficult one, it came after 39. And, uh, but yet, what we see in this passage of Scripture is family that begins to be uh, divided, a nation divided, a king and father who will not get involved, and the consequences from that. If you remember, King David has won the battle. His enemies uh, at this time have been defeated. But he's gone through great heartache. He's lost a child. Um, As he was returning back to the capital... Uh, The enemies that had made fun of him, he forgave them. Uh, The ones that had been faithful to him, he was rewarding them for their faithfulness. And we looked at that last night, or last week, excuse me. And the title of the sermon this morning is, Some Things Are Worth Fighting For. Now, I want you to be clear that some of you are thinking it should be one word. Things is the noun, and it's talking about some of those things are worth fighting for. Not everything is worth fighting for. And if you just saw me in Microsoft Word, as it kept auto-correcting some things back to some things, uh, you would see what it looks like to have anger in my life. Um, But some things are worth fighting for. And the two things that we see this morning, because King David was not just an earthly king. He was God's appointed man for that time. You can read in the Bible where it talks that God chose him, that God had raised him up, that he was a man after God's own heart. And so supporting King David was not just a national issue. It was not just a family issue. It was a religious and spiritual issue. And in this passage of Scripture, I want to talk about two things this morning, about fighting for what matters. The first is faith. The faith that God has given us through His Word and the families that God has given you to pass that faith on to. In 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter, the Bible says this, Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Psalms 127, talking about family and homes and cities. In Psalm 127, verses 1-5, through Unless the Lord builds the house... They labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so He gives His beloved sheep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. And so two things that I believe are worth fighting for is faith and family. 
And what we see in this passage of Scripture this morning is how quickly those can come under attack. That Satan can try to destroy and devour both of those things. And so if you would, stand with me out of a reverence to the reading of God's Word. We're going to read verses 40 through 43 of chapter 19. Now the king went on to Gilgal, and Chimham went on with him. And all the people of Judah escorted the king. Judah is the tribe of David. It's one tribe of the twelve. And all the people of Judah escorted the king, and also half the people of Israel. So half of the other tribes were in favor. Just then all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, Why have our brethren, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king, his household, and all David's men with him across the Jordan? So all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, because the king is a close relative of ours. Why then are you angry over this matter? Have we ever eaten at the king's expense? Or has he given us any gift? And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah and said, We have ten shares in the king. Therefore we also have more right to David than you. Why then do you despise us? Were we not the first to advise bringing back the king? Yet the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. If you would pray with me. Father, today I ask for wisdom. Lord, I ask for the boldness to preach Your Word. Lord, I pray that You would humble me. Lord, that You might work and move today. Father, I pray that You would bless this congregation, bless the reading and preaching of Your Word. And Lord, today that we would make much of Jesus and what He means to us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so if you've read this, you're thinking, okay, so there is a fight over who should be escorting David. There's a fight over who should get the credit for bringing him back. There is a fight over who does this rich, powerful leader support and who will be his closest confidants. A couple things I want to show you from this passage of Scripture, and I only have two points this morning. And the first is this. There will always be division and struggle. There will always be division and struggle. What we see here is a nation, but what we must not forget is that Israel was more than just a nation. They were a family. If you remember, Jacob, whose name became Israel, had these children and they became the twelve tribes of Israel. And so they were all related. And while David was of the tribe of Judah, he would have been down the line related to these other people. They were all descendants of the same family. But yet what happens here is there is a tearing apart. There is jealousy. There is unforgiveness. There is bitterness. And so the family comes under attack. Because these were God's chosen people, this was God's chosen man, it wasn't just an attack on family. It was an attack on faith. It was an attack on the two things that I want to talk to you about this morning. And I say that because today if you make a decision to follow Jesus, and I mean truly follow Him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you are going to come up against a world that hates God, that hates the things of God, 
The Bible tells us that we will be persecuted when we truly follow Jesus. And if you're never suffering persecution, you're probably not truly following Jesus. And so we see that. But second of all, if you make a commitment like these families did this morning, and like I pray that you have, to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, If you've made the commitment that I love Jesus and I know that He is the most important thing for our family, you need to expect that division will come. Because you will have family, you will have friends, you will have people you work with that will say things like, are you really sure that you want to take it that serious? Are you sure you really want to give up these things for that? And I want you to be prepared this morning. And the reason I want you to be prepared is very evident. And I want to give you some scriptures. The first is this, as you are trying to serve the Lord in your family and with your faith, is that we have a real enemy. We have a real enemy. In 1 Peter chapter 5, our enemy is described. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, I don't watch a lot of television. I try not to, but uh, from time to time you'll see uh, something on the National Geographic or something where a lion has chased down a prey and captured it. And what usually happens in that ride is uh, the lion eats a toe or the lion eats the tail and just lets the rest of it go. And so it's a little different, but it's not wounded. You're like, no, Jake, that doesn't even make sense. Lion catches prey, consumes prey, and then leaves what is left for the vultures, for the scavengers. And that is what Satan wants to do to you and to your family. Satan wants to devour the faith that we hold dear. And so today as you make this commitment to be where God wants you to be and to be who God wants you to be and to be doing the things that God has called you to do, you need to know that you have an enemy. The second thing I want to show you about division and struggle is that our enemy has servants. Our enemy has servants. In John chapter 8, verse 44, You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. Friends, you need to know something, that those who do not belong to Jesus, those who do not follow Him and His commandments and His Word, friends, they do not think the same way you do. They don't live the same way you do. And those who have embraced an anti-God, anti-Jesus, anti-Word of God theology are truly of their father, the devil. And they are liars, and they are murderers, and they do not stand for the truth. I said this in the first service, and I'll say it in the second one, and I apologize in advance. Christian parents, you must be so careful taking your high school age students, sending it to a half-infidel liberal college that teaches them to hate God and the things of God, and be wondered why they come home and have no idea what they believe about the things of God. You should not be surprised. Why? Because those who hate God will lie to them about their faith, about family. And so we know that our enemy 
not alone. Third thing about division and strife is that our enemy has a purpose. Just like God has a purpose and plan, Satan has a purpose. In John chapter 10, verse 10, the Bible says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. You know why you have no joy? Because you've allowed Satan to steal it. You know why you have no peace? Because you've allowed him to steal it. And one of the ways that I believe Satan is at work the most, and I know this gets me in trouble, and I just don't care, is right here. There is a reason that we are watching young people more depressed, more discouraged, more beat down than ever before, because they are trying to please 7 billion people that watch this on TikTok and Instagram and text messages and all the things that come with a phone. And there's good to it, I know that. But what happens is we are so busy trying to please seven billion that we have forgot to please one. We've forgotten so much that one person defines who I am, and that's Jesus. There's one person who says, I am who I am. I have got the promises that I have got, and that's Him. But what has happened is the world has lied to us. Satan has lied to us. And what we have done is we have allowed him to steal what God has given us. To destroy families. Today, if your marriage is on the rocks and you're looking at people's on Facebook that, oh, they went on vacation or they did this or they did that, look up here for just a moment. They're probably liars. Because most of us have all went through struggles in our home. You say, well, we've never had a fight in our life. That's because one of you is a doormat. Just saying it. That's why we joke about, right? Happy wife, happy. I might be the pants, but she's the belt. And what happens is we have decided that we would rather not have what is right for a false sense of peace. I told you I'm okay with making you all mad this morning. It doesn't bother me at all. And so what we see from this passage of Scripture, I want to show you these same things. Starting in verse 4, it says, Now the king went till Gilgal, and Chimhan went on with him. And all the people of Judah escorted the king, and about a half of the people of Israel. Just then, all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, Why have our brethren? They're talking about them in a positive sense. It's false. It's flattery. Oh, these, these are our brothers. But what are they doing? It says, Judah, the men of Judah, stolen you away. They begin to turn on one another, saying, oh, David, we're the ones that suggested that you should come back. They hadn't even thought about it. But don't forget, these same ten tribes were the ones that had sided with Absalom. They were the heart of the rebellion. But only one chapter later, they're all about the blessings. How can David bless us? How can we get from David what we want? His household and all the men with him across the Jordan. And so the people of Judah then respond. So all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, because the king is close relative of ours. Why then are you angry over this matter? Have we ever eaten at the king's expense? Or has he given us any gift? They're saying, we're first cousins. All right, you're that weird family that we don't want to see even on the rare holidays. Right, we are the close family. 
We are the cousins and the brothers and the aunts and the uncles. He's of us. And then they say, but we've never got anything from him. What we see here is their real heart. The other tribes were worried about what they were not going to get from David. You see it in today's world and we call them lobbyists. If you want to elect someone, you donate to their campaign and then you expect them to do what you've told them to do. They lobby for different things. That's what they're doing here. They want these special expenses. They want these special gifts. And they're afraid that David's going to get them. Friends, how many times do we see that in a family? Oh, my siblings, I'm a middle child. My parents love the oldest and the last more. A family member dies, so-and-so takes this part of the inheritance and robs it from this one. Families won't speak. Families won't get together. Families will not be one because of something that has happened. What has happened is Satan has deceived. He's lied. He's tore apart. Think about faith. Even today, what I'm getting ready to say in a church as conservative as this will not be popular with all of you. We're watching how Satan is trying to tear apart churches. Today is the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Fifty years ago this day, the United States Supreme Court ruled that Roe versus Wade should be the law of the land. A young woman in Texas had three years earlier wanted an abortion, could not receive one. So she filed in Dallas County, took it to the Texas Supreme Court, and then went before the United States Supreme Court of America. But if you are aware or not, That is no longer the law of the land. God has blessed the prayers of His people. But yet today, if you were to take a stand and say, I believe that life begins even before the moment of conception. I believe that God's people should do all that we can to save and protect innocent life in a womb. I can promise you that you are going to face some stiff opposition. It will usually start like something like this. Jake, you shouldn't be political. Then it should say, then you shouldn't want to control other people. Then it is usually, you don't understand. But what I can tell you is this morning that Satan has lied to a generation of people. He's lied about the fact that God created you, that you have a purpose, that there's a plan for your life. And that's what we see. Jude, which only has one chapter, says in verses 16 through 19 that we should always be on guard against people trying to get what they want out of an evil heart. In Jude, it says these words, These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust. And they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own godly lust. These are sensual persons who cause divisions not having the Spirit. Friends, this morning if you make a commitment for your family and your faith, you need to know that persecution is only going to continue. Persecution only stops when the Bible gets to Revelation 21, when He makes a new heaven and a new earth. Until that time, it is God's message and God's mission for the people of God to recognize that faith matters, that Christian families matter, that the sanctity of human life matters. And that brings me to my second point. 
even though there will always be division and struggle, there must be people who are willing to stand and fight. Look at verse 43, the second part. Yet, the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. This word fiercer is no accident. This word fiercer can be used in the negative connotation. It can mean hard-hearted. It can mean stubborn. It can mean difficult to get along with. You can read dozens of Bible verses about it being negative. But it also can be used positively. Not willing to break under pressure. Not willing to be pushed when you're doing what God wants you to be. And I think it's important that this word is used here because the Bible tells us how dangerous words are. That's why the Bible tells us that we are to preach the truth in love. That we are to let our speech be seasoned. That a soft word turneth away wrath. And what happens is the tribe of Judah is so passionate and is so firm about what they believe and what they're going to do that they prevailed. Now we know in the next chapter that it sparked rebellion. But I want you to see this this morning because God, if He has placed you in your family, if God has given you faith, wants you to fight. Not amongst each other in your marriage. Satan has convinced us that we should fight each other in our homes instead of for them. Satan has convinced our families that we should fight against our children and parents instead of for them. As a church, the Bible teaches us that we should be fighting the good fight of faith, but yet Satan turns our focus on each other. But I want to show you a time when someone persevered and received a blessing. In 2 Kings chapter 2, there's a man by the name of Elijah. Elijah is one of the most famous Old Testament individuals. He was a man that God used to do miracles and mighty works. And he had an apprentice. He had a, a disciple coming up behind him by the name of Elisha. And in 2 Kings chapter 2, Elijah is getting ready to leave this world. Not die. The Bible says he was caught up to heaven. But as they are going to this, Elisha is going with him. And throughout this entire passage of Scripture, everybody tells Elisha, stay where you're at. There's no need for you to follow. There's no need for you to keep going. There's no need for you to worry about this. You stay where you're at. But friends, I want you to see something this morning. If you will not go, if you will not stand, if you will not fight, you will miss the blessing that God has for you. In 2 Kings chapter 2, it says, and I'm not going to read it all, just kind of paraphrase it in some of the verses. Right before Elijah was caught into heaven, Elijah and Elijah went to Gilgal. And you remember that word, we've just read it. Then Elijah says to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will never leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now as they get to this place of Bethel, the prophets, the men of God, come out and tell him, don't you know that your master is not long for this world? He, his journey is not coming back. He says, be quiet. It goes on in verse 4, and Elijah looks at him again and says, Elisha, stay here please. 
for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. And another group of prophets, men of God, speaking the things of God, come out and say these words. Do you know that your Lord will take away your master from you today? So he said, yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah once again says, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. What is Elijah's response? Elisha's response? The same as it has before. I will not leave you. So as the two of them go, they get to the Jordan River. Elijah takes his mantle, rolls it up, strikes the water, and it was divided. They both walked across this water to the other side. And once they get there, Elijah asks Elisha something. What may I do for you before I am taken away from you? Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And so he said, you have asked a hard thing. That word for hard is the same word as fierce in this passage of Scripture. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. And if you know the rest of this story, Elisha sees the chariot, receives a double portion of the blessing, and goes on to serve God in a mighty and magnificent way. But I say this to you this morning. How many of you and how many times do we miss the moment that God wants to pour out His power and blessing in our life because we're not where God wants us to be? We got discouraged with church. We don't like the pastor. We don't like our Sunday school teacher. We're too busy with our hobbies. I don't read well enough to know my Bible. I've got too much going on at work. And what happens is if we would just go where God has asked us to go, to be who God has asked us to be, then we would receive the blessing that God has for us. Elisha could have said, yeah, Elijah, I'm not going. Or he could have followed for a little while and said, you know what, those guys at Bethel, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, we're going to go a little farther. Those guys at Jericho, that makes a lot of sense. We don't want the Jordan Rivers here. I ain't going across there. If I go across and he goes to heaven, how am I getting back? But he didn't. He kept fighting. He kept going. He kept being who God wanted him to be. And God worked. There are two things I want to show you from this passage of Scripture and from this identity of being who God wants you to be. The first one is this. I believe that the reason that we in America are watching our cities be torn apart by violence, the reason we are watching murder in every arena of our lives is because we as Americans, not as Christians, have embraced abortion. You say, Jake, I want some biblical support for that. Our will. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, the Bible says this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. I believe before any child is ever even conceived, God knows them. God has a purpose and plan for their life. God has created them. And we see that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in His own image. 
In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. When God created you, you were unlike any other creation in the world. Unlike the animals, unlike the stars, unlike the grasshoppers, unlike the anything else, God made you and I in His image. Third and finally in Genesis chapter 9, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, He made man. I believe this applies to individuals, but it applies to a nation. When a nation has allowed blood to be spilled of the innocent and the defenseless, we should not be surprised when God allows the deranged and the evil and the wicked to run rampant in our society. But this morning I am telling this church that we must be the beacons of hope. We must continue to preach to a lost and dying world that while we are sinners, while we have struggles, while we are rebels, God loves sinners. Jesus died for you. Jesus loves you. Jesus cares about you. Me must be willing to stand for our faith that God wants you to be pro-life. God wants you to stand in the gap and to proclaim to a lost and dying world from natural conception to natural death, life is sacred. Life is special. Life should be defended. Second thing I want to show you, not just about your faith, is your family. Joshua is one of my favorite Old Testament people. Why? Because he led them. He struggled with them. But yet at the end of his life, he makes a statement that is probably on your wall somewhere at home. Maybe on a plaque, or maybe on a picture, or maybe stenciled onto your wall. But as Joshua was getting ready to end his time as the leader of the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, he makes a statement, an encouragement, a reminder to them. It's very familiar in John, Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord... Choose for yourself this day who you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land that you dwell. Stop there because he calls out the problem. When we read our text from 2 Samuel chapter 19, do you ever wonder what David's doing when this conversation is going on? David could have piped up and said, you know what, there's no reason to disagree. I will be the king to all of you. David could have said, I will not allow any favoritism. I won't bring retribution. I, I will be the king that you want me to be. We're not going back to the way things were. But from what I read in the text, it's silence. Silence. But not with Joshua. Joshua says, this is your concern. This is how you might waver. This is how you might abandon God. He tells them the truth. Up front, and I ask you this question, how many of you are letting your families be destroyed because you just want to keep the peace? Parents, I'm telling you, it is your responsibility to get involved in your children's life and to protect them and to provide for them and to lead them and guide them. It's your responsibility to know what they're watching and who they're talking to. 
Parents, it's your responsibility to make sure they're reading the Word of God, studying the Word of God, talking about the Word of God in church on a regular basis. One of the most heartbreaking things for me is when I talk to a kid and they say, oh, I love coming to church. Well, we've missed you. Well, Mom and Dad don't want to come. Everything in me wants to slap somebody, all right? And that's not the Christian thing to do, I know. But not only did Joshua call out the concern, he told everybody where he stood. He did. It says in that same verse, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, Joshua says, I'm going to serve the Lord. He doesn't say my house is going to serve the Lord only. Because we see that from people all the time. I bring my kids to church so they can learn and get saved, but I don't get anything out of it. Or it's not really for me, but I want my kids to be in church. I want my kids to know the things of God. I don't want my kids to lie or steal or swear, but I'm an adult. I operate under different rules. No, what Joshua said was, I'm going to lead, I'm going to serve God. I am going to be the example that my family needs. And when I go, they go. I'm going to serve, they're going to serve. He was boldly proclaiming that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And what this church needs are some men and some women who are tired of being pushed around, who are tired of quitting on their faith and say, you know what? Today is the day. Our family is not going to be the same. I'm willing to have that hard conversation with my teenager. I'm willing to have that hard conversation with my spouse. I'm willing to continue to pray for my prodigal adult child even though they've hurt me, taken advantage of me. It's time for someone who believes that Jesus has power and authority to apply it to our lives. I want to conclude with this verse from 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 12. The Bible says these words. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. If you want to know why there's a hole in your life, it's because Jesus isn't the center of it. If you want to know why your marriage is in shambles, it's because Jesus is not the center of it. If you want to know why things are broken at home and at work, it's because Jesus is not the center of it. You are either for Him or against Him. But then in verse 13 it says this, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So he says, not only do you need to believe, but I want you to know. I want you to know what God has promised you, how God has blessed you, what God can mean to you through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 14 it says, Now, once you get that settled, that I belong to Jesus, I am saved, I am born again, I'm a part of the family of God, I'm in the palm of God's hand, I know who is my foundation, I know who sustains me, I know who leads me, I know who provides for me, I know what God has done for me. Once that's settled in your life, now, well, what comes next? Now. This is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. 
And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. You see, most of us are too confused about who we belong to or what God wants for us that when we pray, we don't know how. Friends, the greatest piece of advice I can give to you is pray the Scriptures. When the Bible says something, pray it. When the Bible says something about your family, pray it. When the Bible says something about your finances, pray it. When the Bible says something about church, pray it. Why? Because what we have in this book is God's heart, God's desire, God's plan, and God's purposes, and God is no liar. The Word of God does not waver. The grass may wither, the flower may fadeth, but the Word of our Lord endureth forever. And you have to believe that when you are living in a world. The number one article on Yahoo this morning was about the decline of the church in America. How people between 18 and 22, 7 out of 10 who attend church regularly in high school do not continue in church after college. About how 3,500 churches are closing and, and all of these things. In a world that is trying to teach you that if you discipline your children, if you teach them that there is only one way to be saved, if you're teaching them that God wants them to save themselves for marriage, that you are mistaken, that you are old-fashioned, that you are broken. You need something to sustain you, and He is Jesus. Friends, in a world today, we need people who will be fierce. Not fierce to hurt, but fierce to stand. That No matter what the enemy throws at me, I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to compromise my family. I'm not going to compromise my integrity. I'm not going to compromise my love for my spouse and my children. I'm not going to compromise my faith no matter how many times they mock it or make fun of it. I'm not going to compromise what I believe regardless of what someone says about me. I will prevail through Him. That is the spirit that this church needs. That's the spirit that your family needs. That is the Spirit that God will give you if you will let Him. I say all of that today because when we read this passage of Scripture, I think how much of this could have been avoided if David would have just said something. And I look so many times at the families in this very church. And over the last 11 years of being your pastor, being on staff for 13, attending here for 15, I can say we have watched the revolving door happen. And every one of them breaks my heart. Marriages ended. Kids who don't want to go to church. Families who have fallen away altogether. So many hurts and brokenness. And so many times I've asked myself, what if somebody would have just stood up and said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I think about how many of the 60 plus million children babies who have been aborted and murdered in the womb if a group of Christians would have just stood up and said, not on our watch. So the question is today, how will God use you? I want to say this, just because you've not been faithful in the past doesn't mean that has to define your future. You say, well, Jake, I've not been a very godly parent. I, what if I start today? 
You trust God with that. Well, I've let my kids watch whatever they want to do, whatever they want to go, where they want to. What will happen if I try to get serious now? You let God worry about that. You make it difficult for them to embrace the wickedness of this world. Don't give them a free pass. Don't let their journey to hell be a stroll through life. Let it be hindered by your prayers, your love, and your Christian witness. You say, Jake, what if they rebel? David faced it. But friends, remember this. God is faithful. and He will be faithful to us when we stand, when we fight for things that matter. And I believe faith and the family that God has given you are those things. Father, today I come thankful for who you are. Lord, I thank you that as always, you knew where we would be. You knew what we would be going through. And Lord, I could not have drawn up anything half as good on my own. And so Lord, today I pray for this congregation that first and foremost, each and every one of us knows You as our personal Lord and Savior. Not church membership, not baptism, not the Lord's Supper, but Lord, that we believe that You died for us and that You rose again and that we have confessed our sins and been born again and dwelt by Your Spirit. Lord, for those who are here and do not know that today, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would convict them, draw them, and bring them to You, Lord. For those, Lord, that are here today that know You, but have given up the fight. Lord, they've just rolled over and quit. Today, Lord, I pray that You would stir up in them a desire and passion to be who You've called them to be to be the husbands and the wives, the fathers and the mothers. mothers, Lord, to be the children that You want them to be. Lord, help us to be the church that You want us to be, to stand firm in a world of persecution and hate. And know, Lord, that You died for the very enemies that are persecuting us and persecuted You. Lord, today I pray for those that are hurting and broken who have been fighting the faith, fighting the battles, fighting for their family, Lord, and it just seems hopeless at this time. Lord, today I pray that You'd encourage them to keep fighting on, keep seeking, keep serving, keep praying. And Lord, knowing that if it's Your will and they're trusting You, whatever they ask, You will hear and do. Lord, whatever needs to take place in this congregation today, I pray that it would. And Lord, let today be a change for families, for marriages, for generations to come because of our following You, just because we love You. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.